Welcome to the Emmaus Fellowship Teaching Podcast. We trust you find this encouraging. Emmaus Fellowship is located at 205 North Pine Street in Woodland Park, Colorado. Our phone number is 719-687-6061. We trust you find this encouraging as you pour over God's Word with us. Gave me a voice and a song Taught me how to sing I was really enjoying that, um, was having really fun time with Jesus, and um, I want to just share something that he said to me. He told me that his heart of love, like his burning heart of compassion, is for every single person you think is evil. All right, we're done. I was just like, hmm, yeah. So as an on-ramp to this morning's message, I wanted to read Matthew eleven nineteen. It says, the Son of Man feasts and drink, and you Pharisees say he's a glutton and a drunkard and a friend of tax collectors and other notorious sinners. But wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So Jesus is saying, okay, you say all this stuff about me, just give it time, and you're going to see how my wisdom in doing what I do the way I do it is going to play out. And wisdom is shown to be right by its results. All right? So um, how many of you have had conversations with some notorious sinners lately? Yeah, right? (laughs) Self-talk, right? Uh, There was a guy walking up to my truck the other day, and he's kind of notorious. And and we sat there. I sat in my truck. He was outside of my truck, arm leaned up against the window. You know guys have really good conversations when somebody's leaning up against a truck. And... uh, And by the end of our 20-minute talk, he's in tears, and I'm praying for him, and I'm experiencing the compassion of Jesus for this man. And I thought, what a gift. I mean, mean, I'm I'm not going to lie. Initially, when I saw him coming, I, I tried to avert my eyes. Can I be honest about that? But the truth was, I had, I had margin, and this was not an interruption. This was a divine appointment. And it wasn't just for this man. It was for me as well. And so, I, um, I, really, I really appreciated that. You know, I wanted, to, um, I wanted to look at James 1. That's kind of where we're headed. This was a bit of an on-ramp, but it works because it, it ties into what I believe we're going to hear 
from James 1. I'll start with verse 18. You remember last time I was sharing from James 1, a couple weeks ago, I was talking about John, uh, James 1.18. And I'll, I'll go ahead and read it. It says this, God was delighted to give us birth by the truth of his infallible word so that we would fulfill his chosen destiny for us and become the favored ones out of all of his creation. Or your translation might read, so that we might be the, a kind of first fruits of all created, of all the created. And so Jesus intends to make all things new, and he started with us. That's good news. Um, and in this, I wanted to just draw from this as we move from verse 18 into verse 19 and beyond today. Jesus, um, he intends to make all things new, and he is giving us birth. And the Aramaic translation for the phrase, he gives us birth by the truth of his infallible word, is literally translated, you ready for this? The word of the rainbow sign. That is the word of promise. <clears throat> so the truth of his infallible word can be translated the word of the rainbow sign or the, the word of his promise. And so more specifically, the unbreakable new covenant promises that we have as new creations in Jesus Christ. All right, so there's some, there's some ground to stand on, all right? So there's this thing where... We want to grab hold of the heart behind this as James is sharing this with us because as we, we know that Jesus, when he took the cup of redemption at the last Passover meal, he said, this is my blood that seals the what? The new covenant. It will be poured out for many for the complete forgiveness of sins. So, there's something really pretty powerful about James saying, look, the thing that is giving us life, the thing that we are going to really find new birth in, this renewal of all things, is going to be found in the word of the rainbow sign. The new covenant promises. And as we read in Hebrews 9.15, Jesus is the one who has enacted a new covenant with a new relationship with God so that those who accepted the invitation and they will receive the eternal inheritance that he has promised to his heirs. For he died to release us from the guilt of the violations committed under that first covenant, that being salvation through the strict adherence to the Mosaic law. So we're going to start to see some comparison contrast here. I'm going to dig deep into this, okay, you guys. Um, James 1, James has got me doing that. James has got me doing that. Um, it's probably no coincidence that last month or just a few weeks ago that Tiffany and I were down in New Mexico and I was getting my free diving certification, which was learning how to hold my breath longer, go deeper, and explore the underwater world without the help of a scuba tank. Now, how many of you know what the world record for holding your breath underwater is? What do you think it is? 10 minutes or so? How about over 24 minutes? What? 
So um, the thing that helps people develop, I mean, I, I would say that probably the really good deep water, free diving champs, they're holding their breath seven and a half minutes or so. So the thing about those people who are really good at free diving and they go deep, it's a progression. It's a progression. Um, if you think about it, little Benny, our, our soon-to-be grandson, who's coming into the world in a couple of weeks or maybe sooner, has been spending the first nine months of his existence in water breathing water. Anyway, I don't want to go off into the science of how God created our bodies to actually be able to hold their breath for 24 minutes. But I would say that uh, we unlearn that pretty quick. And so for us to do the deep dive, um, it takes some progression. So it's not a like quick thing that you, you can train towards. So as we're doing deep dives into the scripture, I would say that the one thing that the Lord has done for me is he's helped me and he's helping us kind of progress into a deeper understanding of his word. Some of us have been reading the scripture for a lot of years and we've read James probably more than once, many of you. For some of you, this might be brand new stuff, but I would just say no matter how many times we have um, taken a pass at the book of James, there's something deeper for us. So this thing about the rainbow sign, right? So what is this, this forever promise? What is this new covenant? And I don't want to assume that we know this answer. So I want to go ahead and draw from Hebrews 10, 16 and 17, which is actually quoting Jeremiah 31, 33, when it says, this is the promise or the covenant which I will make with them. This is God speaking. After those days, declares the Lord, I will put my laws or my words upon their hearts and write them on their minds. I will put my words on their hearts and on their minds. I will be their God and they will be my people. That's Jeremiah 31, 33. And then he says this, and their sins and their lawless deeds, those notorious sinners, I will remember those sins and those lawless deeds no more. I will no longer remember. So this is a backdrop we're going to start to move through James 1 into 19 and maybe even down to 21, right? We're going to take a run at this. And so let's look at James 1.19, remembering, of course, that the, the rainbow sign is this covenant that he has put his words on our heart and on our minds. He will be our God. We will be his people. That implies relationship. And our lawless deeds and our sin, our unrighteousness he will no longer remember. This is important for us because as we move into James 1.19, it says this. This may seem like a departure. Trust me, I'm going to try to bring it back around. And if you're left with a bunch of questions, we can have a Q&A afterwards. Um, but I just want to just go ahead and read this. Dearest brothers and sisters, take this to heart. Take this to heart. Be quick to listen, but slow to speak. And be slow to become angry. Now, you might be thinking, what does that have to do with what we just talked about? Well, 
it pretty much speaks for itself, of course, and, and yet I am tempted, of course, you know, because I am a dad, and I can use dad jokes, and sometimes I can even slip into cliches, and I'm tempted to actually come into a cliche here where it says, look, we have two ears and one mouth, so we should listen twice as much as we speak. Of course, we know that. But to what end? But to what end? From a relational standpoint, active listening builds stronger bridges, right? That conversation I had when I'm leaning up against the truck, that was about building a relational bridge and actually, like, listening. Jesus certainly modeled this. He asked a lot of questions. And why did he do that? Because he wanted to listen, but even more than listen, he wanted the hearts of the person that he was having a conversation with to be revealed. So I suppose it's important to ask, yeah, why would we really want to listen? But probably more importantly, what are we listening to? And like, to whom are we listening? Like, who are we listening to? And I guess to each other, but in the context of James here, we're supposed to be listening to the word of the rainbow sign. We're supposed to be listening to the words that God has put on our hearts, that God has put in our minds. We're supposed to be listening, not only to each other, but to God, right? And so this is important for us because, yeah, it's both and. I think the context here is really important for us. Be, be slow to speak. Be quick, like really listen. Be slow to speak and be slow to what? What did it say? To anger. I, I do a lot of work with people, and one of the things that I do, especially with some of us who have been trained in our family culture to shut down emotions, is I help people discover their emotions or at least find language around their emotions. And one of the things that typically happens within the first couple of sessions that I have with people is they begin to uh, identify good emotions and bad emotions. Um, I would actually push back on that a little bit and say, there are no bad emotions, just like there are no good emotions. They're actually emotions because they're messengers. The good or the bad that's behind the emotion is something that's tied to the heart. So it's kind of like, um, the, I've used this analogy before, like that smoke detector right there. It has one job, and that's to send a message. And when you hear the smoke detector, well, there's two messages. One is, I'm, my battery's dying, and that's the one that it sends you at 3 a.m., right? <laughs> but the other message is, your house is on fire. Pay attention. Now, that's the most annoying sound on the planet, right? And so if it's like tied to, like, Emotions are a messenger, and sometimes these emotions are like the most annoying thing ever, then we have the choice of either paying attention to what that message is pointing us towards, because maybe the house is on fire, or we can go over there and pull the battery out of it and let your house burn down. And I would say that a lot of us have gotten pretty good at turning, like, like, taking the batteries out of our emotions. So what I don't want to do is say that anger is a bad emotion. But what I do want to say is that there's a, re there's a reason that it's brought up here. Because, I mean, can't anger really motivate us? 
More on this in a minute. That was a little bit of a setup. I just threw a softball, and those of you who hit it, I'm going to get you in a minute. Yeah, it can motivate us. We could spend the rest of our morning talking about this one, actually, like to be quick to listen, be slow to speak, be slow to anger. And we can grow in all of these areas. But what I want to do is take that deeper dive, and I want to... I want to get to some roots of how we can live this way more naturally. So verse 20 of James 1, verse 20. It says, Human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purpose. So, this is why we abandon everything morally impure in all forms of wicked or twisted conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. That sounds like the new covenant. So instead, with sensitive or humble hearts, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted within our nature so that the word of life has power to continually, it says, deliver us. It could say, um, bring us into salvation, wholeness. The word is sozo. It's all of it. It's like not just like you're going to heaven when you die, but Jesus wants to bring deliverance to every aspect of our life. So let's talk about this anger thing for a minute. The word here is orge, which is translated impulsive wrath. That's one way to translate this word, impulsive wrath, when it talks about human anger. And at first glance, we could read it like this. Being impulsively angry never accomplishes what God intends. True that. We can all get around that. But the deeper dive here is this, that the word angry here in James also refers to what's translated as settled anger. Maybe you've heard it as a righteous indignation. Yeah? This anger comes from an internal conviction that steadily opposes someone or something based on what the beholder considers wrong, unjust, or evil. I'm going to repeat that. This type of anger, this settled anger, or this righteous indignation, this anger comes from an internal conviction or a series of convictions that steadily oppose someone or something based on what the beholder considers wrong or unjust or evil. So here's the challenge this morning. And by challenge, I'm challenging myself too. This settled anger, this righteous indignation against the things that we consider wrong, unjust, or evil, I would say that it does not promote God's righteous purposes. And some of you are like, "Mm, hold on. Because you might actually disagree, especially if you've allowed anger to be a motivating force in your soul to fight against injustice. 
Mm. I'm going to start meddling here. It's easy to look at James 1 and surmise that there is a human anger which is never a legitimate tool for promoting God's righteous purposes. And then there's this godly anger that is a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purposes. When it comes to human beings, God is incredibly slow to anger, right? And actually, from what I can tell, he prefers allowing his kindness to lead us into transformation and the repentance of everything immorally impure and all forms of wicked or twisted conduct, a.k.a. sin or unrighteousness. So, in saying this, I would assert that Anger of any kind, whether it's impulsive or settled, does not make us better Christians. Nor does it make us more righteous. For this, we have to consider something here. There was a way that Paul taught about righteousness. In the writings of Paul, righteousness has a particular meaning opposed to the views of the Jews and the Judaizing Christians, all right? To understand Paul's meaning of righteousness, we have to remember that the Jews as a people, as well as the many who had become Christians from among the Jews, they believed that they secured the favor of God by their works, by conforming to the righteous requirements of the Mosaic law. They believed that by the merits of adhering to this first covenant, that they would be acceptable to God and earn eternal salvation. All right? But this law demands perfect obedience to all of its precepts. And it also threatens condemnation for those who do not render perfect obedience. According to Romans 3.10, no one is righteous, not even one. Perfect obedience to the Mosaic law was unattainable. Paul proclaims the love of God in that by giving up Christ, his son, to die as an atoning sacrifice for the sins of men, that he has confirmed his grace and his kindness towards humanity so that we can have hope for salvation as though we have never sinned. I know these are stretches, right? There's like, whoa. Paul is teaching that the way to obtain this hope is only through what? Through faith. This faith receives and appropriates the grace of God established in Jesus Christ. And this faith is considered by God to be righteousness. For God made him, Christ, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. This is 2 Corinthians 5.21. I'm going to connect a few dots here. So when the first covenant stated that righteousness came through the strict adherence to the law, it also justified a settled anger against unrighteousness. The first covenant stated that righteousness came through the strict adherence of the law and it justified a settled anger against unrighteousness. 
Contrast that with the new covenant, the word of the rainbow sign. (laughs) You are acceptable to God and considered righteous by receiving God's love as you place your faith in Jesus Christ. Paul puts it this way in Philippians 3.9. May I be found in him, speaking of Jesus, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God. So appropriating the righteousness of God through this new covenant gives us access to the words of life that are written on our hearts and on our minds so that we might not sin against God. So, again, my assertion here this morning is that anger is never a legitimate tool. Sidebar here. This is going to kind of swing back around to the first encouragement here in James 1.19. Where do our words come from? Jesus taught us in Luke 6.45. Listen, to, I love this. Like I'm going to chew on this one all week. This is my takeaway this morning. You can have your own takeaways, but this one's for me. A good man brings good things out of the good stored in his heart. And an evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in his heart. For the mouth speaks what the heart is full of. Why would James encourage us to be slow to speak? I had someone call me yesterday. Actually, it was a text stream. They're like, I'm so upset. Arr! He's a believer. He's a good dude. I, he's just like, I don't know how to respond. Like, he's sincerely, like, steaming. And I was just like, I find that it's better if I find my peace with Christ before I respond. This is why sometimes it takes me a, a long time to respond because I can't find my peace, you know? But there's just something about this where James would encourage us to be slow to speak, obviously because you can't listen when you're talking, right? But also I think it's important to be listening so that you can hear someone's heart. What if what you hear angers you? This is when you can turn the mirror inward and ask yourself, what is this anger tied to? It's a message. It's tied to something in my heart. This is why, as I'm going to quote uh, James 1, I think 20, this is why we abandon everything immorally impure and all forms of wicked conduct. Instead, with a sensitive spirit, we absorb God's word, which has been implanted into our nature, for the word of life has power to continually deliver us. So abandoning impurity, and that word there is actually filthiness, and wickedness, which is the underlying principle of evil. So we abandon those things, but the way that we do that is not just say, I'm not going to have anything to do with that anymore. We actually have to allow the process. Again, this is a progression. We have to allow the process of the Holy Spirit searching our hearts and see if there's any wicked thing in us. And for us to actually go through a process of being healed and delivered of the things that have been 
influencing and impacting our attitudes and our behaviors. And this is something of a work that God wants to do as his word of life, which he has planted in us, is having its effect and its powerful capacity to bring restoration. So, the word of God. Instead of following these dysfunctional places of our heart that motivate our attitudes and our actions, we're encouraged to humble ourselves and absorb the words of promise. So this is where the word of God, which has been written on our hearts and in our minds, become a source of faith for us. Because remember, faith comes by what? Hearing the words of God. And this faith is considered by God to be our righteousness. Now, think about Jesus being a friend to a notorious sinner. And think about Jesus having meals with these people. What do you, what do you think they were doing while they were having these meals? They were having conversation. And do you believe that Jesus was the only one talking in the room? I don't think so. I imagine that Jesus was listening. And when he did speak, was he motivated out of anger or out of compassion? Was he motivated out of, like, what did it say at the top of this? What did it say about God's righteous plans? Human anger is never a legitimate tool to promote God's righteous purposes. So was Jesus speaking to these notorious sinners out of anger in hopes that that would fulfill God's righteous purposes for them and for God's plan, or was he speaking from a different place? I think that it's obvious that um, even what I was hearing from Jesus this morning when he was saying, my heart of compassion and love goes out to every single person you think is evil. And as Jesus said in Matthew eleven nineteen, wisdom is shown to be right by its results. So what is the result of Jesus befriending you and me? What is the result? We entered into a new covenant promise with God where living a righteous life is sustained by the words of truth written on our hearts and our minds. It's not because we know that someone's angry at us. In particular, God. Because as I read that new covenant, it says that the unrighteous things in our life God is choosing to bring not only forgiveness for those things, but he's choosing to not hold an account against us. He's no longer going to be motivated from a judgment of our past lives. He's going to be motivated by the new creation life that he has chosen to rebirth in us through the power of his word. Now, I know that I've left you with some open-ended like, wait, what about, wait, what about, I don't know why we like an angry God. I don't know why 
we feel like we need to be justified in our anger towards the unjust things that are happening, trust me, the thing that God is angry about is evil. He hates evil. But every single person that we would look to and say, they're living an evil life, God's love is for them. So it leaves us in a bind. Because we want to actually live according to God's ways. We want to receive it and we want to express it. And yet we find ourselves angry so often by the unjust things that we see in this world. What do we do with that? I wish I had an easy answer for you. All I know is that in order for us to make any changes on this planet that are sustainable or I guess what we could say fruitful, fruit that remains for generations, it's going to come from the abiding place that we have with Jesus. And it's going to come through relationship that we have with his words that are written on our hearts and our minds as we open the scripture and they echo what we have been taught by the spirit of truth. We need to live from that place. Here's the deal, folks. There's a lot of strife in this world. It doesn't take me very long to get angry at something. And I want us to be a bit of the remedy here in this city, maybe even in your own homes, certainly in your workplaces. I want us to be the remedy so that the promises of God can be given space to work. I don't know. I don't really have an easy way to unload or get off of this. I just know that for me, these big gaping like what-ifs or what-abouts, they're important for us to be paying attention to. You have a question? I said we were going to have a Q&A afterwards. Yeah? Yep. Like I said, there's no bad emotion. If it's tied to something where you're, you're angry at something that is keeping you, like, what would you say would be an example? Like that's been healthy for you. So when you're demotivated, you get this spark in you, and sometimes anger has been a spark that has gotten you up and moving. Okay, how sustainable is that? Right, I mean, I'm not setting you up, but I just think that for me too, like I've, I've had, but there's other things that are going to be more sustainable that are going to actually, for me, um, get the job done in a way that doesn't alienate me from people. Someone was talking about they're, they're at the end with a particular person in their life and the, the ditch is anger. And just asking, like, where do we find or can we pray for, can we collectively as a community pray for the grace to not live from that place of anger where we want to just call fire down on people? Yeah, we can do that. And I think that, that you know, you bring a reality to this. Because there's many of us that are upset. We see things in on the news, we're hearing about things happening around not only the nation, but even in our own towns, our own town here. And we get this like agitated sense of like, this isn't right. Okay. So what do we do with that? And where do we find the grace to actually navigate it in a way that's loving? I'm finding myself in these situations almost daily 
and I find myself having to come back to what is the promises of God? Not only for me, but for these people. And how does he see these people? Like, sincerely, how does he see them? Like, this is my frontier where I'm having to be honest, like you are, about the limitations of my love for people. And I'm, and I'm saying, well, it would be easier and more fun for me to just be angry and rage on these people. The harder work here is to connect with, like, the heart behind the new covenant found in Jesus and live from that place. And the, those, that's at the heart, really, the challenge for us. Because, and this is why James is saying, like, everything apart from that, you need to abandon that stuff. There's something twisted about it. There's something not right about it. It's not going to produce the kind of fruit you want. So I hear that. And I appreciate you actually saying that. I can relate to it. Anyone else? Yes. It might be related to the grace piece. Because when James is saying, be slow to anger, it's like, what do you call that on a truck that limits its speed? The governor. Can grace be the governor to help us just tap the brakes before we react, respond, and give us some time to... Do that check-in and say, what is motivating my actions here? You're right. The actions may look very similar, if not identical. But again, as we turn the mirror towards the heart, when we do feel those emotions of anger or whatever, we're asking the Lord to help change this and help inform this and this by his words of life. And then from that place, we make our decision and we say what we say, we do what we say, we make our decisions, but coming from a totally different place, not out of anger. So I think, Pete, thank you for saying what you shared. I think that that's a good sort of filter for us to, the grace to wait. Be slow to anger. Anyone else? Yes. Okay, so God, yeah, it says that he doesn't remember our sins anymore. But honestly, he loves us so much that he's not going to let us just keep living out of brokenness and dysfunction without addressing it. Like he's going to put his finger on it, but it's motivated not out of anger. And there's a security that we find in God, and there's a security that your kids find in you because of that more subtle, well, it's not even subtle, right? I mean, when you're angry, they know it. But, <laughs> but I'm just saying, like, the actions may be the same, but there's a heart behind it that's different. There's a connection. Yeah, a connection that happens and not a disintegration. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's the thing about anger. I think it does disintegrate a lot. And, um, you know, yeah. Really good conversation. Anybody else? Any other geniuses want to ask me something? Yes, sir. Yeah. 
my, my question, maybe even a challenge to all of us, is if we were to read that story, did Jesus whip any person? No. He turned over the tables. He said what he needed to say. And at the heart of it, he says, this has become a house of, you know, a den of thieves. My house is going to be a house of prayer for all the nations. And so definitely a frustration in that. Um, so I appreciate that point that his anger was not towards, I mean, it was towards the whole system that had been established. Absolutely. We are to resist them. And that's where that settled anger has a place, but but when you're reading this in the context of having a relational conversation of talking and listening, and there's things that come up between people, I don't think anger is, like it says here, a legitimate tool to fulfill God's purposes. I think it can be something that can motivate, can communicate. But the long-term fruit of it. Yes, Dave. I'm just thinking about the, the verse. Don't wait to turn the mirror inward. Again, I know that, you know, this is something that we all deal with, something that we all want to know more about. I felt like the deep dive, it just reorients us towards the bigger story. And it also reorients us towards the righteous purposes of God that are being fulfilled. And they're not being fulfilled through anger, not even God's anger. They're being fulfilled through the incredible expression of love from God towards you and I, a.k.a. notorious sinners, who I'm sure we've all frustrated at times. And so I'm going to pray for that grace. Now, not to like go down another cul-de-sac here, but I do want to say this because it was funny, Dave, um, when, when I asked, have any of you had a conversation with a notorious sinner lately? And you said, well, does that count self-talk? Um, I just want to circle back around to sometimes we can be the most angry at ourselves. And I would just offer kindly to you that self-hatred is not a legitimate tool to fulfill God's purposes in your life. So with that, let's pray. Jesus, you've been in this conversation. This has been um, just wonderful and hard. And I have felt like I've stepped into some, some deep waters where I have to trust in your genius in each of us as your word has been planted in our hearts and in our minds to really sort this out in a way that's healthy and right, in a way that acknowledges the reality of our emotions, but also the reality that they're tied to things that you want to address, that you want to bring wholeness to. And I pray, God, that you would, as James encouraged us, would you give us the grace to humbly um, absorb the words of life that you have given to us so that they can bring life to us because your words have been implanted into our nature and your words have the power to continually deliver us.
And so, Jesus, we want to ask for your grace. Just as even our friend just brought up, like they can think of a specific person. Well, we all might be able to think of a specific person. And so, Lord, would you do the work of giving us the grace this week to find the way of love towards them and find your heart for them. And so, Jesus, thank you for this. Thank you for all the ways that you have spoken to us. And I just want to pray now, Lord, that you would seal what is of you by your Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus. And anything that was not of you or not intended uh, from your heart towards us, would it just be like chaff in the wind that just blows away and we just don't have to pay attention to it. And uh, Lord, I just pray that you would bring to recall all the things that are important for us out of this. And I pray this in your Christ's name. Amen. Amen. It's our joy to offer these podcasts. We sure hope you enjoyed it. If you have any questions, any prayer requests, feel free to drop us a line at Fellowship at iCloud.com. If you're curious about ways you can be more deeply involved in this community, visit our website at EmmausFellowship.org and be sure to like our Facebook page.